0: Be the church. We're our last one today. We're talking about prayer today, and we we've been discussing how the church is not a building but people. But we've been talking about what was God's original design for the church, and I want you to think of this this word, original intentions. You know, because. We in life, we intend for things to go certain ways, right? But they don't always work out the way we want, right? There's always opposition. There's always something coming in to try and thwart us from doing what we purposed out to do, right? Are are you with me? I mean, gosh, that happens in families and work and life. You want to do something, you have great intentions. and, And even though God's plans are never thwarted and his intentions will always prevail, there is a battle In between the time, right? Between the beginning and there, and there is a fight, right? And I wanted to read something to you as we start. Hey, who's enjoying the Word of God um, that we're reading? So we're in the journal time. I hope that you are are joining us um, for that. Oh, there i got to make this so I can read it. Oh, there it is. Um, I hope you're enjoying the journal time. If you haven't joined with us, please do. I, I'm asking as your pastor to to humble yourself and join with us and just start picking up where we're reading. It is so powerful. And I'm finding myself, as I talk to different people during the week, when we're reading the same scriptures, it's powerful. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's going to bring unity and we need that. So please do that. So anyway, remember Deuteronomy 7.24. This this verse jumped out at me on, I think it was March 8th, and I uh, I wrote about it. And it says this, uh, Deuteronomy seven twenty four, And he, speaking of God, and he will deliver their, he's, they're talking about going into the promised land and what's going to happen. They haven't gone in yet, but they're preparing to do so. Deuteronomy, the second law giving, Moses is basically reviewing the law, encouraging them, telling them what the law says again so they won't forget it. Over and over, getting that built in their minds, and he's telling them what it's going to be like and what they're going to do if they obey, God's going to do certain things. If they disobey, certain things are going to go down, right? Pretty obvious. So uh, Moses is telling them, look, this is what God said. He said, and he, God, will deliver their kings into your hand, okay? And you will destroy them, their name, from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. So God... Listen to this, church. God delivers the enemy into your hand, but you destroy them. So, in our church, guys, in American church, we have gotten so bad at understanding the fight of faith that we in church say, oh, Jesus already fought the battle. I just got to accept Jesus and sit there in my comfortable lazy boy chair, and all's going to be good. That is not what the Bible ever teaches. From Genesis, Old Testament, New Testament, old law, middle law, late law, I don't care what kind of law you think you're under or not under, it never ever talks about not fighting. So God says here, I will deliver them into your hand. Look, but it's a partnership. You've got to partner with me because once I deliver, it's you that has to destroy and kick out. They had to go into the land and remove the enemy out of the land. God fought for them. Like we sang today, God fights for us. That doesn't mean we're sitting on the couch eating potato chips while God fights our battles. Okay, wrong idea. And if you're not careful, you can get that idea. Oh, yeah, he fights my battles. It's so cool. I can just do whatever I want. And he's going to fight all my tough battles. No, 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 no. Always a partnership with God. God will partner with you in the battle. He will give you the courage and strength to do it, but you have to act on it and literally go and do it. You have to kick out your enemies, just like Israel had to go into their promised land and remove the enemies. So today, you will be, God will deliver to you the enemies, the kings, the leadership, the the strategies and plans of hell that are in your promised land, what those things that are keeping you back from entering in the fullness of God, he'll deliver those to you, but you must kick them out. You must destroy them. Are you with me? Think about that, church. This is a beautiful time to be reading in our journals together. Deuteronomy was Jesus's favorite book. So if you don't like Deuteronomy, there's you you got to readjust your mind and get into it. There is so much good stuff. I've been highlighting almost whole chapters. Because if you see what is said in Deuteronomy, you see a lot of the heart of Jesus. You see the lot of the heart of how God was trying to explain and tell the the, the church in the New Testament this is what God's really like. And a lot of that comes from Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is preparing people to go take their land. How many of you in here right now have land in your spirit right now and in, the, in your spiritual life that you want to take back? Right? I mean, I've, I've talked to people that are, you know, depressed. Johnny, come up here real quick. Let's just talk about it. We all have areas that we're working on. And this, this young man, I mean, you're my elder, so I should probably respect you. This this gentleman, we talked on the phone yesterday, and he had a revelation, right? Would you call it? I would call it a revelation, about his battle.
1: And can you just quickly share that real quick, like what, what God's doing? I've struggled with depression off and on for the last 27 years that I've been clean and sober. And uh, this last couple of weeks, it got really bad. I, I'm even on medication for it. But uh, this time was different because... I guess God was showing me that uh, the depression isn't really depression. It's just one of Satan's tricks to keep me down. It's like so, I don't have to be depressed anymore. As long as I keep doing what I'm doing and talking to people and stop staying fighting the good fight. Stop being so. Isolated. You you didn't want to
0: talk to me. No. Why?
1: Yes, because in my heart, I know what I need to do, and I don't want to hear it from other people. Because it's like, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's good because I was texting Johnny, and he wasn't answering me, and I was getting kind of concerned, saying, Boy, you got you to gotta text your pastor back. That's for sure. But So I was like, wait, and then I kind of got concerned. Like, I hope he's okay, you know? And, and so he texted me back, and we started talking, and he, and he just said, Man, I'm seeing stuff about what you've been talking about since you got here about fighting and and not taking all this crap that the enemy puts in your life as just like you're stuck. You're, you are not stuck with it. It is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You are more than a conqueror in Christ, and you're going to conquer this. But God will deliver to you the kings of, of the enemy, the leadership, and that's what he's doing right now. He's giving you strategies and, and your your recognition that this depression is a onslaught of the enemy to take you out and to keep you from all the fullness that God has for you. That's part of getting the delivered the the Kings to you. Now you're going to learn and we're going to fight together and we're going to go fight and remove the enemy. Remember God delivers them. We have to defeat them. Amen. Love you brother. So, Hey, so a lot of us, a lot of us have things in our life we're fighting. Um, we have battles that, Really, people don't even know the battles. In fact, you can come to church and put on a, a face mask and think it's okay, but when you're home and by yourself and at nights, and it's a battle. But God cares about those battles, and he wants you to stand up and go, no more of this. I refuse to live with this because as you're living with that, Christ's work on the cross is as of no effect in your life. It's effectual, trust me, you all know that. It's the most powerful thing in the universe, the resurrected Christ. But not if you don't allow it to come and be a part of your life. Not if you don't partner with him in the fight. God wants you to take the trash out, right, Gary? God is never going to, and any father in here would never say to his kid, if I said to my son, Justin, hey, Justin, uh, go take the trash out. And he looked at me and said, no, dad, you do it. That would not be a good scene right there, right? And so we as Christians, we look we look to God and God says, hey, I'm going to deliver the kings, but I want you to take the trash out. I want you to defeat your enemies. And we as Christians turn to God and say, God, no, will you fight my battle for me? I just want to sit here and be safe and not take any risk. No. God's like, uh-uh. And that's why a lot of us, we think, oh, God, just fight for me. And we sit around, but we never get better. We have little ups and valleys. We go to a camp or we have a whatever, a good podcast, and we hear something positive or a good whatever, and we're good for a few minutes, and then, man, we're back down in the pits. That's because we haven't determined our heart, Lord, I'm going to partner with you to fight with you in my battles. And that's a lot about what we're going to talk about today, which is prayer. Prayer really is a partnership with God to fight. A lot of us think of prayer as just oh, just pray and ask God for stuff, or pray when you're in need and desperate, and you you know you figure oh God, I, I mean yeah, you can pray then, but that's not the point of prayer. Prayer really is a partnership with God. Prayer is partnering with Him to enact His kingdom rule in this earth, in your life, and in the world around you. We are to empower. We are empowered to take God's kingdom and manifest it into this world through us being vessels of the most high God. We are to enact the kingdom principles and power through our lives. Firstly, to get our own life set free by the power of God, by partnering with him to, to take on the enemies in our own soul and mind. Right. And then once we get free and start that process, then we are to go out to others and help others get free. That's the kingdom of God advancing that's making disciples. Discipleship is not about just teaching people facts. Discipleship is about taking a person from one state into another. Out of the kingdom of darkness, I'm teaching them how to be kingdom people, how to live in the new kingdom, how to operate in these new giftings and power. That's what discipleship truly is about. And so that's what I want to talk today about is prayer. Does that sound fun? And then we're going to break up into groups, and we're going to read some scriptures together and have some fun there. So, But I want to share you something uh, about prayer, um, and I'm going to review super quick. So number one in your notes, church means what? The called out ones, right? Church is not a building. It's a group of people that have been called out of darkness into light, right? So they devoted themselves to certain things. We talked about that in Acts Uh, 2.42. And we talked about the fact that they devoted themselves. What did devoted mean? Remember what that word meant? Any remembrance there? Anything come back? What did it mean? What was the essence of that word mean? yeah. So here, here, remember this, to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty. So remember the the, 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 the focus here on this word devoted meant that you're going to bend every energy that you have to go fight something with the know, knowledge and the knowing that there's going to be opposition coming your way. So the devotion to what God's principles that he had in Acts 2.42 was about the heart and the perspective that we have, that we have the heart saying, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to pursue God knowing that stuff's going to fly at my face and it's like swimming upstream. If you had to define that in that word, it's like, it's devotion. This devotion word is like when you're, when you're going with the current and you decide to turn and go against the current, that's this word devotion. Cause you know that as you turn and go up current, you're expecting stuff to hit you, but you're ready for it because you know, your prize is upstream, not downstream with the world. The way unto death is easy, is easy. You just go with the flow and you'll go straight to, straight to hell with the word, right? If you want to go the world's way, the door is huge, wide. Everyone can go through that door. But the, the the right way with God is, it's difficult. It's different. It's a small door not very many people get through because it's easier to go flow with and against. So that's devotion. So then we move on to the apostles' teaching, remember? We talked about the fact that in the early church... There was a hunger to learn about this new covenant they had with God. So they were fascinated and hungry and devoted to the apostles teaching, which talked about this new covenant relationship. And we've talked here at the church before about how a covenant works. Remember that the two parties talk and they discuss and they have all these promises and now everything that is your covenant partner that they have is yours and vice versa. So now when Jesus died, now all of a sudden we are in a new covenant with God. So everything that God has now is ours and vice versa. We belong to one another. It's a union. So that's why they were devoted to the apostles teaching because they were so excited about this new life that had been preached and they'd received. They've got the spirit of God in them. I need to learn all about this, right? They were also, there was also an urgency to learn and share because of a few things, right? Some of them were getting persecuted and killed right? And Jesus was coming back. So they wanted to be sure, Hey, if I'm going to die for this, I better know what I'm believing. Right? Amen. So there was a devotion to that. And that's a principle, a precept in the early church that we want to take on in our church. We want to be people devoted to the word of God, to learning about God's word, to activating our hearts and minds in the word of God. Then we talked about breaking of bread last week. Remember breaking of bread and breaking of bread. Um, actually, did I miss one? I sure did. Wow, because that's not next. What was next? Teaching fellowship. Yes, good job. Fellowship and I left that out of my notes. So that's funny. So Koinanea. Remember Koinanea, the, the Greek word for fellowship, meaning the, that we need each other. We talked about fellowship and the importance of unity. Remember how important unity was? God said that with with unity, that would be your best tool of evangelism. If you work together and love each other, you'll get more people saved that way than if you have an awesome worship team with smoke and lights and a great preacher and a funny this and great coffee shop, right? I mean, Jesus said the best way to get people saved is that you love one another and show that commitment. People on the outside will go, I want that. That's crazy. I don't have that in this world. What is this about? And you're saying, yeah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus connects us all. We can never be connected In here without Christ, some of us would probably never even cross paths, but because of Jesus we have, and because of that powerful unity that we're still growing in, we can be an effective church that reaches out. And then we got to third breaking bread. And we actually broke bread last week because the point of last week's sermon was that we're just together. We're breaking bread, right? Being together, unity was the key to the success of the church. Hanging out together was key to the success of the church. Also remember that communion was involved in last week's breaking of the bread. And we talked about the past, the present and the future. Remember we talked about every time we meet together and break bread, Jesus said, I want you to remember guys, every time you eat together, remember me, remember what I did for you on the cross. Remember what I'm doing for you now in the spirit and also look forward to me because I'm coming back soon. So every time you meet together, it's important for a successful church to operate in the spirit, that they're continually together meeting and breaking bread because that's the sign. Hey, guys, we're eating. Let's focus back. Let's remember. Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Because Jesus died for me, empowered me. He filled me with his spirit and commissioned and called me, and he's coming back for a bride that's pure and ready. Are you with me? So we have to be ready. So as we meet together and break bread, that's key. And that's why church has got to be so much more than meeting every Sunday. Church has got to be about meeting throughout the week at coffee shops and in houses and meeting together. There's got to be an increased hunger. As the church increases that, I think the church will be more effective than ever. A a pastor in town, Gary, was just telling me, had a dream of a a church building being on fire. And in his dream, he said, oh, God, we got to go put out the... The, 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 fire and, and the, and the Lord said, yeah, nope, let it burn. And immediately when Gary told me that it connected my spirit because God is getting rid of the current, the old wineskins of how we think church should go and God's implementing and Hey, this is how I want church to go. And so I, I trust me guys. I'm telling you the word of God is clear that w- there is a returning to these principles that are in acts. It wasn't the perfect church. They had stuff to iron out, and they fixed stuff, right? I mean, you know, Acts one, two and three, they're giving away property and loving and caring, and that's all good. But then later, 20 years later, Paul's having to write church and say, "Uh, you know what? If you don't work, you don't eat." use your hands and do something useful and give into the kingdom of god. See, so there was there was things that had to be fixed in over time but the essence of the principles of what god ha- wants in the heart of the church are still relevant and real today. And those are so in the fourth one which is important was prayer. And so we're going to spend some time on prayer um, today, and we're going to also spend some time on prayer in the next few weeks. And um, you're actually going to hear from some of the other pastors on staff about prayer and different perspectives. So that's going to be super fun. I'm really looking forward to that. But I want to talk to you today about the prayer faith. So turn to James 5. This is super. I'm just pumped. This I've read the scripture a bunch, but I got some new nuggets out of this sucker last night. And I was like, wait a minute. I never read this version, so we're gonna look at this different, this Greek text and see what it says. So the prayer faith, James five. So we're talking about prayer, which is partnership with God. And there's a lot of ways to pray. You can pray when you're sad. You can pray for petitioning. You can pray with thanksgiving. You can pray with confession. I mean, there's a lot of ways to pray. But prayer, as we all know, is really just communicating with God, talking with God. And let's look at this one, because it's not just prayer. It's the prayer of faith, right? The prayer of faith. So look in James 5, 13, says this. If anyone among you suffering... Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone sick? Among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Underline that, because that's a tough one. If he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. It's kind of like, why do they throw that in there? What does that mean? He, he, God forgives sins, right? Not guys. So anyway, we'll get back to that. Verse 16, therefore, therefore, whenever the word therefore pops up, it's important. Highlight it, underline it, because it's, it's an important transition. Therefore, confess, ooh, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed or made whole. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a tough, really tough translation. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, but he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave uh, rain and the earth bore its fruit. So guys, I want to talk about the prayer of faith because there's just, there's prayer. And then here we see in James who wasn't just some chump in the church. James, he was pretty much the leader. He was the dude. He was the man. He was the one head of this church and really, uh, an important book that I think he really does some great stuff all the way from chapter one of suffering Count it pure joy, my brother. I mean, there's so much good stuff in James, but he ends this letter then James. This is the last uh, part of his letter with the prayer of faith. So let's look at it and see what happens. So I want you to uh, read. I'm going to read you um, verses 15 and 16, okay, from the Greek text. So now when you translate Greek, it's tough, or even Hebrew, because one Greek word or Hebrew word can actually – have many different words that come across in translation. So it could, you could have one Greek word and it could be translated like we learned about the word praise. In English, we have praise, but in the Hebrew, there were seven or more different translations that could be translated to praise. So you can't just say, praise the Lord, and this is what it means. No, praise could mean kneeling, bowing, lifting hands, confession, thanks. There could all, be all kinds of different types of praise. Well, the same with any type of language where you're trying to translate it, it can be really tough. And so the Greek is the same way where it could mean one Greek word can have several different English depending on the usage of it. Does that make sense? So this is kind of like an amplified version, but even better. So this is verse 16 in this Greek text. So verse 15, it says, and the prayer characterized by faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. So your first bullet point is prayer characterized by faith will restore. It is the prayer with faith that has faith surrounded in it that will restore and make whole. So in verse 15 of the normal translation, it says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. This Greek, this Greek text says the prayer characterized by faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. So I want, I want us to think about that. I want us to think about faith because, you know, faith is, is a, a, an interesting subject because when you pray in faith, you're praying, believing that what God said in his word is true, no matter what you see around you, right? Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. So when you exercise faith, you're praying and the evidence for your miracle, what you're believing is your faith. The evidence is your belief, your faith. It's not what you see with your eyes. When you're praying for healing, you're not. The evidence isn't whether it manifests in the physical realm or not. The evidence of it is your faith believing that God's word is true no matter what you see with your eyes. Right? So you've got to understand that because you've got to believe before you receive. Right? That's how faith works. Listen to this story in Matthew 21. 21.20 says this. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from which the roots and Peter remembered saying, Rabbi, look, the tree um, in which you cursed has withered away. Now, remember, the fig tree was in leaf, but not in the season of bearing fruit. So this fig tree should not have been bearing fruit in this time. But when Jesus went by it to get some fruit, it didn't have it. And Jesus cursed it and it died doesn't seem really fair to the tree, right? The tree got the bad end of the deal. But as we understand, God's talking about the power of faith, believing. So in essence, that tree, that fig tree, because the creator of the universe was walking by it, it should have immediately produced a fig. That doesn't make sense to our physical minds because in our, well, it's not season. That's not, that's not how it works. It's rationalism. It's the part of your brain that says, this has got to be this way and this way because we live in a physical world and we want to, we want to default back to that because it makes us feel safe and secure. God is not limited to your rational thinking. God is not limited to your uh, biology or the physics of this world. God is beyond it and over. He created it. It's a little part of his whole entire universe. So he's not limited to that. So by faith, right? Jesus had faith. We know that by what he did. So when he said, "Hey, there's there's no fig. You're out." And and then he says, "You guys should be acting like this." And then look what he says. So uh, going on in this verse, he says, "So Jesus answered and said, "Have faith in God. Believe like I'm believing. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. So can you move the mountain if there's doubt? Can you exercise faith if there's doubt? No. Okay. And does not doubt his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. That's pretty open-ended, crazy. This is a verse you need to go and meditate on all week and just say, Holy Spirit, teach me faith. I don't, I feel like when I read that still, I feel like I don't even get it because it's so massive. But listen where he goes on to, because he gives another key for faith. Verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, underline this next section, believe that you have received them and you will have them. So Jesus is saying, you have to believe that you've received them before you have them. Jesus is saying that you have to believe that you've already received before you get what you're praying for. But see, our rational mind says, no, I don't believe it till I see it. And that's the lie of the enemy. That's thinking rational and physical only, not spiritual. God said, worship me, I am spirit. Worship me in spirit and truth. He's a spirit being, his kingdom is the predominant one. This kingdom we see of the world and the physics and rational is all going to burn up one day and be gone forever. And Jesus will reign. So that's temporary. God is eternal. So Jesus says that we have to believe that we've received it before we get it. Huh? Huh? Now, try and apply that to your life in different areas where you're believing God for something, but you're waiting to see it to say, well, yeah, it worked. Uh, God worked and finally came through for me, so here it is. I'm not, Jesus said this. It's in red in my Bible, right? And he said, I've got to believe before, so faith, believing, as we pray in faith, we have to believe that we've received it before we get it. That's what faith is. Faith is about trusting God and accepting and believing what he said is true immediately. Great great uh, illustration of that is remember the centurion guard where Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. Why? Because he knew authority and structure. He knew that if he said the moment he said, guard, go that guy left or he was killed. So there was an authority and a fear built in that system. So he knew his word was highly valued Jesus. And he knew that Jesus, because he was the King of all Kings, right? That his word was highly valid. And he said, no, Jesus don't come to my house. I'm not worthy, but you just say the word. And I know the moment that word comes out of your mouth, the moment it is, it's done. It's settled and over. So the moment he says it, it's done. He said, you just say the word. And then it later in the story says, and they look back in the very hour that Jesus said the words, his servant was healed. So that is faith. Faith is trusting that God's word is true no matter what you think or see or feel. It's not an emotional decision. It's not a rational one. It's based on his word and trusting it. Are you with me? So that's a great story for you to meditate on. But if we go back to James uh, 5.13, we see this in the Greek text. And prayer, characterized by faith, will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And 15 in the normal one said, and the prayer of faith shall save. Now, I want you to understand that word save is sozo. Remember that word? It's the same word we talked about, which doesn't mean just, hey, you're going to be saved and we're going to heaven now. It means that word, Greek word means a ton of stuff. Delivered, made whole, healthy, everything. It's completeness. Do a study on it. It's pretty amazing. Sudzo, so the prayer of faith, the prayer characterized by faith, which we just talked about, will set free, deliver, make whole. The person who is sick, this sick is not just a sickness. This could be sick in many ways. It can be emotionally, there could be depression. It could be many forms of that, not just a physical cold or a physical disease. So I want you to, cause when we read through this, we can minimize God's word and God's word is so complete. It, it covers every base. He doesn't miss one iota of it. He's, he knows every inch of it. There's no scenario that can come in the back door and God would say, Oh, I didn't think of that. He thought of it all guys. And if you trust God in his word, he is God who has thought of it all. And so there's no back door that's going to come in. His word is complete and true. All right, so let's go on. So we see now, we get into a little dicey section here. So, and the prayer characterized by faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, and check out the Greek text here, if he has committed sins with present effects, it will be forgiven him. And that, I tell you, I got so excited, because that jumped out at me, I said, you know, I've kind of read through that, and I kind of just pass over that section of this, because I focus on this: if you're sick, let the elders pray for you, and the sick will be made well. I mean, that's pretty much the cool part, right? Someone's sick, let's get them healed. And, and then the prayer of a the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right, in the old King James. And we used to say that. I kind of really just skipped over this part, didn't think much of it, because I didn't really understand it. And then as I'm reading, even just last night reading this little section, I was like, "Wow. So what he's saying is that therefore uh, he says if if he has committed sins with present effects it will be forgiven him. Then he says therefore in verse 16 openly confess these sins that he's talking about that have present effects openly confess to each other these sins with present effect right? Confess these sins one to another and pray for the benefit of one another for the purpose of being supernaturally healed. Wow. So in your next bullet point, um, the prayer, a prayer of faith includes sins with present effects. That's your second bullet point. Sins with present effects. What does that mean? So if you have a present effect of a sin that's going on in your life, it would be like, now look, not, not every sickness and disease and cold flu has sin, but at the same point, I say that I want you to understand the truth in the heart of God's word that number one, that means don't exclude that from your thinking when you're praying for healing in physical, emotional, mental, whatever. Always keep that at the forefront because James, the leader of the church, said, hey, confess your sins and the current sins and effects will be forgiven. Therefore, pray for one another, confess to each other for the supernatural healing of yourself, right? So the present effects can be if you are uh, currently in a in directly habitually disobeying God's word, You could have a present effect. For example, a clear one in the scriptures is unforgiveness. If you have harbored unforgiveness and resentment towards another person and you have not forgiven them and released them to God, you could be suffering right now from a present effect of sin. So your sin would be that God said, forgive, or else I can't forgive you, right? God said that. And so if you choose to say, okay, God, I see what you say, but I am going to choose not to believe that right now for whatever reason, doesn't matter, whatever reason you want, y'all, whatever your theology is, whatever you want to believe, you're choosing that you're not going to get in alignment with God on forgiving your brother, then you have a present effect of sin. And so God says, when you come together... I want you to confess one another and talk about this thing so that you can get freedom from this because it will hold you in bondage. If you continue to disobey God and disobey his word, people think when they get saved that somehow they're in this magical new place where they don't have to obey anymore. I I, I just don't grasp that understanding that they think, oh, hey, I'm saved and God's forgiven all my sin. Paul says, don't let that give you a license to make you think that you can just go do whatever you want, whenever you want. Are you with me? And I told Jen, I said, yeah, we're probably going to lose a few more people from church this Sunday when I start preaching this. So yeah, I said, Hey, you know, God, it's your church. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. and and, And it's your word. So let the word go forth and set someone free, um, in many ways. So we see this, listen to this in the Greek again, therefore, um, If he's committed sins with present effect, it will be forgiven him. Therefore, openly confess these sins to one another and pray for the benefit of one another for the purpose of being supernaturally healed. So if you don't confess your sins and pray for one another, will you be supernaturally healed? No, because it doesn't work. He says, do this and this will make this happen. So we have to be in an open confession and relationships with people in the church that are asking of tough questions. Gary, have I asked you tough questions? Have I asked you tough questions, Johnny? Have I asked you tough questions? We've had a lot of tough questions, right? I've asked you tough questions. Me and Craig have asked us. I'm, you have to be in relationship with people that will be willing to hurt your feelings. If you're not, you're going to be suffering. You're going to be someone... That's in a sin that you maybe not even be aware of with a present effect that's affecting your life, whether it be physically, whether it be mentally, relationally, job, whatever, that you're going to continue to have there until you deal with it. And the only way the Bible says that we need to deal with this is with each other openly confessing, hey, look, man, I'm, I'm in a struggle. I've got this going on in my relationships. I've got this going on in my body. You know, instead of just saying, no, uh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to, you know, just forget it. And I'm just going to God's I'm saved. and I'm going to heaven. Why, Why don't you just say, Hey, I've got this going on. Let me go with a friend and let's pray and ask God and say, God, is there any present effect of any type of sin or misthinking in my mind where I'm not in alignment with you and your word that could be causing this or hindering me from being healed? And to me, James is clearly saying that this should be at least a portion of what you talk about when you're pursuing health and wholeness. I'm just saying what James said. So check this out. This this is even better. So we talked about verse 15, and then the end of 16, it says, then we come to the the, the prayer, we or the part of the verse we all know. It says, uh, therefore confess your sins to one another and behold, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Listen what it says in this version. Listen, listen get ready. What kind of prayer is it? It says, very combative, engaging, and overcoming is the specific urgent request of the divinely approved person who is energized by God. I'm going to read that again. So, because it takes, a, it, t- it took me, I still, it took me a while for my brain to go, wait, what are you saying there? So the person, so it says in the regular text, the prayer of a righteous person has great power in it's working or what's the King James say, Paula say, read your version. effective much. much. So the effectant fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, you, did you notice what it said about the righteousness, the request, the prayer of a divinely approved person? I want you to know and look at your neighbor and say, you are divinely approved through Christ. You need to know that. You need to know that as you trust in Jesus, you are this person who can pray this way. Church, listen to me. You are divinely approved by God to pray this way and to have the the request be made known and for people to be healed because you are divinely approved through Jesus Christ. You need to know that, church. You need to know that you are. You might not think you are, but is faith about what you're thinking? No, it's not. Is faith about how you feel? Is faith about your past success or whatever? No, faith is about what God says. Just like we say, we're no longer slaves. That's based on what God said in his word. That's the only way we can stand on that truth. But you are a divinely approved person with full authority through Jesus Christ to fervently pray and be connected with God so that people are made whole and healed of their sickness and disease. Now, I know a lot of you in your minds are like, well, but, uh, excuses. Jesus rebuked more people for their excuse not to believe in faith than he did anything else. Remember when he got raised from the dead? We just read through it in our reading. What's the first thing he did to the people? Why didn't you believe? I I appeared to so-and-so and and you doubted. What's your problem? He got on them a lot for their lack of faith. Wow. So let's read through that again. Very combative. So... The prayer, but righteousness has a lot of power. So the word power, we talk about being combative, engaging, and overcoming. This is not when you pray for people; you are fighting a battle. When you're praying for your life and for victories, or you're praying for someone that is sick or emotionally has emotional issues or whatever it is, you've got to pray in a fighting mentality with a with a knowing of divine authority that you are approved by God and you've got to fight for the victory. If you have to be combative. Does that mean that if you just pray it once, it'll happen right away and that's all you got to do? No, it may take several times, over and over. It may take days and years, and months, whatever it is, but you pray until something happens. You pray until it's accomplished. You fight for it. You fast. You pray. You get up early. You stay up late. You make time to go pray. Very combative, engaging, and overcoming is the specific urgent request, right? You got to be specific. You got to have urgency about it. Of the divinely appointed person who is energized by God. Energized by God is interesting because if you think about it, the best example is electricity. This is talking about the ability of the conduit of wire to transfer power from one source to another. So this type of prayer of faith connects you to the power source and gives you the ability to take the power and transfer it from almighty God to the person you're praying for and have an effect on them. You ever put your fingers on wires and get shocked? Anyone ever done that? That's a fun experience. If you haven't, I'd go home and try that today. Just unscrew the plugs, take the wires off, and then touch one finger on the white and another on the black. Well, maybe not, but You'll get shocked. Make sure it's a 110 and not a 220. That could hurt. So in the same way, guys, prayer is the same way. The prayer of faith that we're talking about, that James is talking about, is one that prays and has the faith believing that God is going to connect through this prayer and all his power and energy is going to go into the person that needs it and light their light up. Right? I know a lot of us in here, I need a light on right? I'm believing and praying for stuff in my life with my wife and my family, just like you are. I'm praying and believing, and I want to pray the prayer of faith so that my son comes back to Jesus, that my daughter starts serving him wholeheartedly. We're believing for a baby. We're praying in faith. And I'm trying to apply Matthew 21 to that. And that's why me and Jen have already bought a crib. She's not pregnant that we know of and we've been trying for 5 years. We've had the crib for 2. So we bought a crib and we put signs up in our bedroom that says we're going to believe in faith. Cuz the Bible Jesus said, "Believe that you have received it and you'll have it." But wait, where did Jesus say I could have a baby? What if that's not his will? That's see, now I'm I'm introducing you to the spirit of doubt and unbelief. Cuz doubt and unbelief will say, "Well, you're not promised a baby." Oh, really? Am I? Am I promised a baby from God? Why? Why not? Why? Why? What does it say? Quiver shall be full? Huh? Quiver shall be full? So, well, anything you ask, so that's, that's overarching, so that could definitely count for that. But I have, I have more than that. So, listen. We'll, we'll end with this. Now, look. In the last verse, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, saying, Elijah was pretty awesome, right? If you read, <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome. But he was a man like us. He had all the same uh, things we have to go through. He prayed fervently. So he prayed just like James is talking about in faith. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, it rained. How could he have faith for that? Because he hadn't heard Jesus say, ask anything. But he did hear some other things that God said. What did God say? about rain. You're right on the, the new, the, the uh, old covenant promise was if you obey me, I will send rain on your land and you'll have vegetables. If you disobey me, I will shut up the heavens and not allow it to rain. So Elijah had faith because he had read those scriptures and he had to exercise faith just like you and me. And and Elijah knew that that the people he was dealing with were in rebellion and sin. And he knew that God said if they didn't align themselves and obey his statutes and principles, I mean, come on, we've been reading Deuteronomy. You have to obey the statutes, the principles, the commands, everything. And so if you didn't obey that, he had full rights as a believer and a prophet of God to say, no rain, and it didn't rain. Not because he was extra special than you and me, but because he prayed the prayer of faith he prayed like James said, and it didn't rain. And so now today, I can not only take the New Testament covenant thing that Jesus said, pray for anything, which is awesome, but I also have other promises, the quiver, Proverbs is full of it. The Old Testament is full of those, you will not be barren if, if you're walking, and, and, and I know now, so now it's like, okay, so how do we get there? Well, remember, we got to fight. We don't just go, hey, can we get pregnant, God? Thanks, Bye. And then we just go on. No, me and Jen are very open and pray all the time. God, we're believing for a baby. We believe we received it. And we also add in there, God, search my heart and know if there's anything in my heart that's holding back. Is there anything? Because I know, see, I'm not, I'm not arrogant to say, oh, I'm living the great Christian life. No, I humble myself on purpose because I know me. And I know I can get off track. And so I'm praying on a regular basis, Lord, I don't want to get off track. Is my heart straying anyway? Am I believing something that is not in alignment with your word that's hindering that? I'm not afraid to say that. You can do whatever you want for me. I'm going to be open to that because it's so clear in his word that that's a big part of the healing process is being in alignment with them. I've had to forgive people. And that's been tough. I've had to go to the people that have hurt me. I've had to do other things to get in alignment with his word and repent and turn and be whole. So I'm in that process, but that's what the early church was in. They were in this process of being healed and praying. And prayer was a huge part of the church. And even James made it clear here that part of the church was to go out and pray for the sick. Jesus did it. He went out, preached the gospel, healed the sick. The 12 did it, then the 72 did it, and then the whole early church was doing it. And you and me are, uh, what did it say? You are divinely approved. You are divinely approved today to do what they did. They're no different, special. They had to believe in faith just like you do. And so the church needs to go out and pray and believe for God to do miracles so that people will come to know him. That was the gospel message. These signs will follow them that believe. Preach the gospel and they'll be made whole. And people are going to go, I'm, gonna, I'm saved. I'm Jesus is awesome. That's what's going to happen tonight. I guarantee you tonight God's going to move in that tent and people are going to be made whole and healed and saved. And it's going to be awesome. But church, if we want to be the church, we've got to be urgent and love teaching right? We've got to have coin fellowship. We've got to believe in one another. We've got to break bread. We've got to hang out together. We've got to remember what the Lord said, what he said, what he's doing and what he's, when he's coming. And we've got to pray. We've got to pray. And if you pray, you can move mountains. You can stop rain. You can make rain and you can call down forth whatever God says, because ask anything in my name and, and he'll do it. Amen. Hey, right. went a little long, so we'll stop there. And, uh, can we pray? And we're just going to break out into just a few minutes of prayer. So I want you to stay at your tables and uh, I want you guys to start um, praying for one another. The Bible says that if you confess your sin and you ask and you pray together, God will make you whole. So let's put that into practice and at your tables, I want you just to um, start praying for it. If you, any of you have requests, um, just tell at your table and start praying for that. Father God, we just thank you for your word today, God. And we're not just going to be hearers of your word right now. We're going to be doers of your word. Lord, we're going to put it into action. Lord, we're not just going to hear something and walk out the door and go on our life. Lord, help us right now in Jesus' name by your Holy Spirit to put into practice, Lord, your word as we pray for one another, Lord. Uh, Let your word be true in every man a liar. Lord, your word is true no matter what. So we believe that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said amen.